I think it's important to see each other and hear each other and speak to each other across all kinds of boundaries. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. A special tribute to our late friend, colleague, and co-host, Ken Taylor. Across racial divides, across gender divides, we need to see, hear, listen, talk rather than shout, discuss rather than debate. Ken was Philosophy Talk's co-creator, chief cheerleader, and guiding light. A debate is like you're trying to win over the opponent. A discussion, a conversation, is a mutual thing. Join us as we talk about Ken's life and work, and hear from some of the many people whose lives he touched. I think wisdom is about appreciating not just the cost and benefits, but the true value of the thing. And that takes wisdom. Remembering our colleague and friend, Ken Taylor. Here's a challenge for you. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of Philosophy Talk. Learn more about the program by getting our monthly newsletter. Just text the word philosophy to 22828. That's 22828. And get access to our library of more than 500 episodes by becoming a subscriber at our website, philosophytalk.org. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. I'm Deborah Satz. And I'm Josh Landy. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where I taught philosophy for 40 or so years. And where I still teach occasionally, while also serving as Dean of Humanities and Sciences. And I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Today we're remembering our dear friend, colleague and co-host Ken Taylor. Ken died in early December. Really devastating, hard to talk about. It wasn't anything we expected, and it's a hole in the universe as far as I'm concerned. Ken is survived by his wife, Claire, his son, Kiyoshi, a young man just graduating from college. His parents, Sam and Sarita, are still alive. His siblings, Daniel and Diane, and many nieces, nephews, cousins, aunts, and uncles, one, one can only imagine from the co-host relationship and the big role he played in our lives just in virtue of that what, what it would be like to have such a powerful person as, as a spouse, a father, a brother. Um, he was just an amazing guy. And, and we're thinking not only of our loss, but all of their loss today. Yeah, and I'm really happy to have both you and Deborah back in the studio today to talk about him and celebrate his memory, even though obviously I prefer it to be under less heartbreaking circumstances. Thanks, Josh. It's good to be here, but it's really devastating that we lost Ken so uh, early and so unexpectedly. I assume it's clear. I mean, I was stunned by the news. Uh, you're always shocked when somebody dies at what from my point of view, is you know, young age, barely post-pubescent, uh, <laughs> 65. But Ken, I mean, it was more like, you know, a star has gone from the planet or maybe the moon. I mean, he was so full of energy uh, and became such a part of so many lives. I, I mean, I never expected I would be here in the studio paying tribute to him. It was not his turn to die. So thinking back, I... John, you and Ken really kind of launched Philosophy Talk uh, in 2004. Is that right? Well, that's that's when we first got on the air. Uh, philosophy Talk was, I admit, my idea after listening to to uh, to uh, car talk. Car talk. <laughs> I thought, well, Christ, if people can be interested in cars mixed with a little humor and uh, back and forth, surely they could be interested in philosophy. <laughs> I mean, come on. And so I approached various people with the idea. Uh, first of all, my friend David Israel, because we kind of had a nice thing when we got to conversing. Lots of jokes, lots of humor. And he said, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then maybe Michael Bratman, who said, oh, well, great idea, no thanks. And then it was on hold, and then, you know, uh, we hired Ken. I got to know him, and one day I said, expecting another turn down, hey, Ken, I've got this idea. And he said, that's a terrific idea. And boom, things began to happen. And you two were such a great team. 
Um, you really did get yeah. the car talk um, mentality, but around things that are really important. Um, and <laughs> right. yeah, so, so, so you think how proper names work is more important than how your transmission works? <laughs> In the big picture, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that wasn't all you talked about. What, you, what, what did you all talk about? I mean, you know, democracy oh. and freedom and free will, the oh, prostitution, uh, the, the censorship. Yeah, you know, you name it, we talked about we it. We questioned everything. We questioned everything except your intelligence, and, of course, we questioned each other's intelligence fairly <laughs> regularly. <laughs> what do you remember most thinking about working with Ken? Well, uh, first, a great sense of relief that such a determined, thoughtful, ambitious, hardworking person had seized on this idea, and unlike I ever would have, was going to make something of it. And I think about the work, you know, the, this show, no, not today, obviously, but this show normally begins with a, a dialogue between the two hosts. Mm -hmm. You know, it was five minutes of just sheer uh, intellectual horsepower. Uh, but again, for a broad audience, like super clear, engaging, inspiring, funny. And he was always willing to put in all, any work that it took to make those five minutes. Yeah. I mean, one thing possible. that was always uh, striking to me is, and this has a po very positive side and sometimes a downside, when he got his head around something, he would not give up. <laughs> so he would press guests who tried to mm -hmm. avoid the <laughs> yeah. questions or his co-host who was trying to avoid answering a question. He would not let up. And that was a kind of, there was a kind of relentlessness that was really engaging because yeah. he was trying to figure out and get things right. Ken was really brilliant because... Uh, after we hired him, I knew he was an up-and-coming philosopher of language and so forth. But uh, I, I used a textbook he'd already published on the philosophy of language in my philosophy of language course. And my God, it was amazing. And I reflected, this is a kid from Sandusky who went to Notre Dame, but he didn't kind of spend his time at Notre Dame totally in philosophy. He took some kind of great books program. Uh, and then he just ends up after his stint with Leonard Linsky at uh, Chicago. But he doesn't just know Leonard Linsky's views. He knows everything. He's got the whole thing figured out. It, this is and amazing. It, it's about just it, yeah. amazing. And then, you know, of course, that was a textbook, and he went on to write very creative books. Uh, it was just what a mind. I mean, one thing about Ken that relates to this um, knowing everything is he was voracious. He was curious about everything. You know, so sometimes somebody would say something and I would think of, you know, why pursue that? Let's mm -hmm. let that go. He would, you know, if he thought he had something to mm -hmm. learn or that listeners had something to learn, he would pursue things. And that made him a great conversationalist because he talked a lot, but he also listened. And he was also looking for, well, what can I use from what you're saying? How would this change what I think? I love um, that. I love that adjective voracious. I mean, it just seems exactly right that he, you know, he, he, there's a lovely interview with him online where he talks about his childhood and how he loved going to school and he wanted to learn everything. He wanted to know how everything worked. And, and that, I think, remained <laughs> true throughout his life. He was fascinated by everything. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just... Uh, what was your example, the you know, proper names? Or yeah, whatever. proper names, yeah. Um, but it wasn't just fascinating things like that. It wasn't just <laughs> fascinating things like that. It was in car carburetors, but, you know, uh, artificial intelligence and, and psychology and TV. And, you know, he was wonderful on what I think of as my subject. Uh -huh. right? He was just fantastic talking about fiction. I mean, there was nothing he couldn't say something interesting about. Right. And, you know, my subject, uh, political philosophy, I mean, he was constantly having insights about the political world. And a mm. lot of his blogging and conversation <laughs> took the form of trying to understand what's happening to our democracy and where's the what's the role of reason and truth um, in or the lack of reason and truth in the um, degradation of our democracy. And that's something he was very concerned about. And I think of this show and of Ken's life and work as a, you know, pursuing a commitment to the idea of truth, that, you know, that uh, evidence matters, that argument matters, that 
some arguments are better than others, but it's re- a lot of things are really complicated and we don't always know exactly what's true. And also that he had a commitment to conversation, to discovery together, not just um, the philosopher in their room, uh, contemplating the universe from their own perspective, but he was very interested in, you know, how do other think, people think about this? Why do they think about it in a different way than I do? What can I learn from them that they see something in a different way than I do? Right. And ultimately, I mean, I found his po- political stance, this fascinating mix of optimism and pessimism. Uh, <laughs> yes. Like the rest of us, he was very worried about where things might be heading. But at the same time, he also had this sense, I, I love the way you put it, Deborah, you know, that, that if we were able to talk to each other, and if we're able to talk to each other reasonably and listen and rely on evidence and good arguments and maybe change our minds, then maybe there's hope for our, our society. A big if. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kid was very seldom rendered speechless. The one time I remember, we had a Christian theist on our program, and we were discussing the problem of evil. And one of us said, well, how should Jews feel about the Holocaust being part of God's plan for the best of all possible worlds. And our guest said, well, they should be very grateful that they had this chance to witness something huh. about his plan. Oof. And Ken was speechless. And I had I had to say something. At least that's how I remember it. And that was unique. You're listening to Philosophy Talk. Today, we're making a very special tribute to our late friend and colleague and co-host, Ken Taylor. So we were just talking a moment ago about Ken's many virtues that made him such an amazing, uh, amazing radio host. What about as a colleague? You know, the 25 years or so that you had him as a Stanford colleague. One of the things that Ken really, to me, uh, stood for is he really cared about creating public goods. So he wasn't, I mean, he had a research agenda, but he was the chair of the philosophy department. He chaired the program we have in symbolic systems. He was on the faculty senate mm-hmm. year after year, one of the most important voices. He was an inspiring teacher. Oh, um, yes. Not only you know was he very clear and engaging, but he was incredibly funny. And I've you know seen pictures of him dressed up, you know as figures from the historical past, <laughs> whether it's Plato or um, uh, Socrates. And uh, he, you know, completely captivated, uh, you know, thousands of students over the years. That's one thing I think about all the time. And, and it's, you know, a measure of how much, not just I'm going to miss him, but I think we're all going to miss him. And, and these generations of students that whose lives he's transformed. And unfortunately, the students, he won't get the opportunity to reach in that way. What's the thing you think you're going to miss the most? Well, Ken was kind of a constant, right? Very reliable. When I had written something, I could give it to Ken. He would read it, uh, and he wouldn't sugarcoat his criticisms, but he wouldn't go out of his way to be negative, and he would do it quickly and sincerely. He was there. You could count on his energy. You could count on his opinions. So I'll just, I mean, you know, it's just a big... Someone who was there in a zillion different ways. Um, when I heard he had died, it, it was not like it wasn't just a friend has died. It was kind of like the moon isn't there. Uh, hard to really grapple with. Yeah. And but as, anyway, you know, as really a voice, as a voice for all the things Deborah was talking about, as a voice for autonomy, as a voice for freedom, as a voice for equality, anti-racism, as a voice for truth and discourse and listening. Yes, you know, there, there's no one like him. Yeah, it's a huge, really huge uh, loss for all of us. You're listening to Philosophy Talk. Today we're remembering our late colleague and co-host, Ken Taylor. In our next segment, John and I will talk to two philosophers who studied with Ken, Manuel Vargas, who now teaches philosophy at the University of California, San Diego, and our very own Laura McGuire, Philosophy Talk's Director of Research. Ken Taylor and his influence when Philosophy Talk continues. Welcome back. It's a special edition of Philosophy Talk, a 
tribute to our late friend and colleague, Ken Taylor. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm John Perry. Ken passed away suddenly and unexpectedly in early December. And today we're remembering his life and work. We're joined now by someone who worked closely with Ken for over two decades, Philosophy Talk's own Director of Research, Laura McGuire. Hey, Laura. Welcome back to the program. Thanks, Josh. So, Laura, you were Ken's PhD advisee. He was your chief advisor. Uh, I guess at the time it surprised me a little because I thought of you as mostly in epistemology, and at that time, Ken is kind of squarely in philosophy of language. Do I? Is my memory wrong? Yeah, your memory is wrong. Uh, well, I never did who's surprising? <laughs> <laughs> what was the topic of your dissertation? Well, I started off thinking about the rule-following problem, Kripke, Wittgenstein, oh, that okay. kind of thing, and then it kind of evolved from there after I read Brandom's Making It Explicit. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what Ken was like as an advisor? Was he more of the you know tough love type or more the encouraging type? Ken was very adaptable, I would say, as an advisor. He, he had very different approaches depending on his advisee. So I was having a pretty hard time in grad school. Some things had happened, and I, I kind of fell behind in work and was just kind of struggling and really felt like I just couldn't do it. I wasn't cut out for it. I wasn't smart enough, all these things. And I would not have done it without Ken. Ken was extremely supportive, and there were so many times I would sit in his office and I'd be on the verge of tears or actually crying. (laughs) And Ken used to say, you know what, Laura, there are some graduate students that have way too much confidence. And, you know, he would name some names, which I won't do, but... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and there are some who don't have enough, and you're in that latter camp. So he felt it was his job to like boost my confidence, to make me believe in myself, to make me believe I could finish my PhD. So I have Ken to thank for that, for sure. And so then after that, you and Ken kept working together, right? I mean, uh, there was yeah. a period of teaching together. Yeah, that's right? right. So I worked in the IHUM program, as it was called, Introduction to Humanities, which is a freshman humanities course that all freshmen at Stanford had to do a full year of humanities. And Ken and I worked on uh, several teaching teams together um, during that time for quite a number of years. So tell us a little bit about how you came to be involved in Philosophy Talk. Well, I was a graduate student in 2004 when John and Ken started it, and I was there for the recording of the pilot episode. Uh, Ken was taking me out to celebrate finishing my PhD, so I came to the station and saw John and Ken in action. After I left the IHUM program in 2009, I took the opportunity to moved to Thailand and lived there for a while and I came back for a, a summer and then I went back to Thailand and then I came back for a <laughs> summer again and I was kind of thinking this is what I was going to do and I hadn't seen Ken in a while and then I got a message on Facebook from him and he told me that uh, for the first time they'd gotten funding for a director of research from the university for three years and he was really excited about this because before, it was just he had had graduate students doing this role, mm-hmm. but he wanted to create a position that was like professional, director of mm-hmm. research, someone with a PhD. And he thought of me after years of teaching together. He knew I, I had the, the uh, cat herding skills <laughs> <laughs> that might come in handy. So I said, that sounds great. I'll apply for that. And I applied, and then I was shortlisted for interview, and then I got the job and decided I was not going to move back to Thailand. I was going to stick around. So, so it was just like Ken, early in philosophy talk, he discovered that you could get money from the university uh, to hire undergraduates to help you with projects. And so we could hire some undergraduates who would then come up with ideas about what our program should be about and, and who should be the uh, the guests. And I was, of course, semi-enthused. I said, oh, well, uh, like most of your ideas, that means more work, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> at least it doesn't cost more money. And then he figured out, oh, but if we hire a director of research, <laughs> then we can have both. 
But it turned out, of course, to be a very, very good thing. The undergraduates come up with lots of ideas, and once Laura took over, it really has been running smoothly ever since because she's got this ability to deal with undergraduates and to deal with obnoxious senior colleagues. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> so what are a couple of, you know, what are some things when you think about Ken, what are a couple of things that uh, come to mind? You know, Ken loved to tell stories, loved <laughs> to tell funny stories. And this is an event that I would not have remembered except for Ken just loving to tell the story. So the story is that when I was a graduate student um, finishing up I, I did something that most graduate students do. I went on the job market to apply for a tenure-track job. And then in the new year, I got called back to one university. So uh, it went pretty well. I came back. And the story that Ken likes to tell is that he was in the lounge of the philosophy department one day. And I come running in, and I'm so happy, and I'm so excited. And I'm like, Ken, Ken, Ken guess what? I didn't get the job! <laughs> <laughs> and he just thought this was so hilarious and so perverse because... Uh, you were delighted it, not to get a job. I was delighted not to get the job. So over the years, I thought I was chairman when we hired Ken, whom I really pushed for back in 1995, I guess. Yeah. And so I knew him for a long time. Uh, there was a core to Ken that didn't change, but uh, a lot did change. His interest really broadened. He was talking about all sorts of things. Uh, he's got some unfinished stuff that we'll uh, try to uh, uh, work on. Uh, wh what did you think? What did you see over the years? I think doing philosophy talk just broadened his horizons so mm -hmm. much because every week he had to sound like he knew something about mm -hmm. a different topic. And, you know, we've tackled so many different topics. Yeah. Some of it is, you know, the kind of core philosophical questions that uh, philosophers think about a lot. But a lot of it was also inspired by current events. Um, and I think that's one of the areas where his thinking really developed. He, he became very interested in uh, developing uh, political theory, mm -hmm. which was a new thing. And, of course, was planning, he, he was just finishing this book up uh, that he'd been working on for many years. And once that was done, he was planning on writing another book about um, American politics, mm -hmm. which unfortunately... Farewell to the Republic. Farewell to the off, Republic, yeah. yeah. So that was definitely um, a, a development in Ken's thinking I we, witnessed over the we years. We could get quite a bit of that content if we had his... Facebook. Well, last year, I had the idea to use some of the stuff Ken had written about the Republic and American politics to play an April Fool's Day joke on people. So I took some of the stuff he had written on Facebook and I put it together in a blog post announcing Ken's candidacy for the presidential <laughs> 2020 race. And... I'm always amazed at uh, how gullible some people are. <laughs> a lot of people were were cheering, saying, yay, Ken 2020, right, I'm, yeah. I'm ready to vote for him. So yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. So Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Laura, thanks so much for sharing some of your stories of your long years working with Ken with us. It's been a pleasure having you today. Thanks, Josh. And it's been great w working with you all these years and great talking to you today. You too, Josh. And I'm so glad you didn't get that job. <laughs> <laughs> Philosophy Talks Director of Research, Laura Maguire, remembering her friend and philosophical mentor, Ken Taylor. You're listening to a special edition of Philosophy Talk, honoring our late co-host. We're joined now by another one of the many minds Ken helped shape over the years, Manuel Vargas. He's professor of philosophy at the University of California, San Diego, and was a guest on Philosophy Talk back in 2008. Manuel, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me. So you were a student at Stanford, and I'm sure you uh, must have worked with Ken. Tell us a little bit about that. First, build a time machine. Go back to Stanford in the mid-'90s. And it was a terrific time to be a graduate student, in part because there was this kind of dynamic, interesting, fascinating department, lots of people doing really cool and interesting work. And, uh, and one of the figures that sort of loomed especially large for the graduate students was 
was this guy, Ken Taylor, who seemed to have views about everything, uh, was happy to, to argue and wrestle the arguments uh, on nearly any topic. And, uh, and everybody got a huge kick out of his grad seminars and hearing him at, uh, uh, in colloquium, uh, colloquy talk and uh, talks in the department. And he was just a kind of tremendous resource in part because uh, it really didn't almost matter what you were working on. It felt like he was going to be able to add something to, to your committee. And so I think at the time he was a dissertation committee member for something like nine or ten students oh. in the department. It was uh, now being on the other side. Uh, that's just obviously crazy on the face of it to, to be working with that many graduate students. But uh, but uh, he did, and uh, in part because it felt like, in many ways, the universal philosopher. Now, as I remember your dissertation, it wasn't exactly on Ken's uh, major concern at that time, which was still the philosophy of language. So was was that a problem or or just something he enjoyed? I have no idea whether or not he enjoyed it, uh, <laughs> but he uh, he foolishly agreed to be on this committee that was on an, in a dissertation on in an area that he didn't do any work in, uh, and but you wouldn't have known it. I mm-hmm. mean, he had these very elaborately worked out views about how to think about what compatibilism was, mm-hmm. how to think about what free will was, what methodologically was the good and bad versions of these things, and so. Uh, I think he played this super outsized role in the formation of my own philosophical sensibilities. I think his, what I might sort of construe broadly as a kind of naturalistic humanism, a kind of concern mm-hmm. for the way in which the sciences can inform our understanding about human beings and how good and thoughtful philosophical work was oftentimes going to be in conversation with developments in, in uh, many of the sciences, especially the, the social sciences and the mind sciences. Um, I think I hadn't quite realized at the time how huge an impact that had on my general subsequent philosophical sensibilities. And it wasn't until partly thinking about this program and I went back and after he passed it and spent the weekend reading a, a battery of his essays that I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this is, uh, he's articulating all these things I've sort of inchoately thought and believed for a long time. And then I thought to myself, why did I think and believe these things? And, and, and then it was like, well, I guess I probably picked up a whole bunch of this just from uh, those years of being in his seminars and, and being a TA for him and having him on my committee and all that sort of sort of thing. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of his ideas. Um, you and I, Manuel, have been talking a little bit about uh, two or three of these papers. Uh, one's called Charting the Landscape of Reason, another called uh, How to Vanquish the Lingering Shadow of the Long Dead God. He had some great titles. And uh, a third we could talk about is Neither a Populist Nor a Vanguardist Be. I mean, it's this cluster of essays around the question of uh, how to live and how, we, how, if at all, we could ground our, our, our morals, our principles. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that, that cluster of essays? Yeah, so this is one of the things I thought was super cool about the way these different papers that look like they're all about distinct projects pull together in in a way that turns on something like the following thought across this collection of papers we're talking about, where the thought goes something like, look, reason doesn't guarantee convergence. Um, and we, you might be reasoning well and I might be reasoning well, and that's not going to give us uh, convergence either from where we happen to be standing in our own cultural and historical sequence of events, but also the universe at large, as you note, doesn't give us, doesn't give us a resolution. So we could despair. Um, that's an option. But it, it wasn't at all a tempting one to, to Ken. And, and instead, what he calls on us to do is to take the possibility of, in some sense, democratic discourse. And I, I mean, not necessarily, in, in, it doesn't have to be limited to politics, but democratic discourse in the sense of recognizing that other people are going to be sources of reason. And then we have to do what he called the messy retail business of making the case for the kinds of norms or reasons that matter to us and to try to recognize the rational abilities of other people might diverge from our own kinds of conclusions about what they what they give us, but that we should pursue the attempt anyway to try to bring our frameworks into alignment as much as we can without any promise that they will come together. But, you know, one thing I really loved about his views, it seems like a, a kind of Goldilocksy position, <laughs> right? So that, uh, you know, it's it's not great 
if your culture is is riven with mutual disdain, which he thinks is our current situation. But at the same time, we shouldn't ask for, you know, we shouldn't hope for uh, mutual affirmation where everyone's constantly going around telling each other they're wonderful and everything they're doing is great. That's, uh, a, that's a really good point, Josh. I'm <laughs> Thank you, John. And you said that really well. Oh, did I? <laughs> and it's so nice to hear from you that you like the way I made my last point. <laughs> um, but in the middle, right, Ken proposes begrudging tolerance, right? We've, we're not going to love everything that people who disagree with us are up to or believe in, but we've got to at least tolerate them. I mean, what do you think about that way of thinking about things? So I really like the thought that there's no promise that it's going to work out. And I really agree that one of the big challenges for modern, pluralistic uh, communities uh, where folks can disagree about a whole lot of different things is that uh, we're only going to get what, what psychologists sometimes call social binding or a kind of shared sense of community and project and willingness to, to give up some goodies on behalf of a larger whole. We're only going to get that if... Uh, if we can live without open disdain for all and everybody who disagrees with us. So all of that seems to me uh, uh, right and compelling and super interesting about Ken's project. Uh, One of the things I think is a challenge for some of these kinds of things, and I think this is part of what's so interesting and compelling about uh, Ken's representation of this, the kind of begrudging tolerance idea, is that that it's going to turn out that you want more than mere tolerance, right? right? So it's got to be more than mere tolerance, but it has to be something like the thought that you're open to the possibility that by engaging with other people, maybe you will come to see what your reasons are as different than they were before you started talking to other people. And that's the optimism. That's the piece that I think. Maybe you'll learn something. Maybe you'll see you weren't right about everything. And at the very least, you'll see that your way of doing things is not the only possible rational way of doing things. That's right. Manuel, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to one of my favorite philosophers and uh, and to reflect a little bit about the, the wonderful contributions of Ken to the philosophical community. He was a, he was a mentor for a lot of us and, and he will be missed. Manuel Vargas, professor of philosophy at UC San Diego, a former student of Ken's. This is a special edition of Philosophy Talk, remembering our friend and colleague Ken Taylor, who passed away very suddenly in early December. Coming up, we'll hear more from the many people whose lives Ken touched during his remarkable career as philosopher, teacher, and radio host. Testimonials to Ken when Philosophy Talk continues. It's a special tribute to our late friend and colleague, Ken Taylor. I'm John Perry. This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy, and we're remembering Philosophy Talk's co-creator, chief cheerleader, and guiding light. There's no way we could talk to everyone who has something interesting to say about Ken. So many college students and friends have wonderful stories and anecdotes and compliments to share. But we asked as many as we could to record a brief testimonial. Here's what they had to say. I'm Alison Gopnik. I'm a professor of psychology and affiliate professor of philosophy at the University of California, Berkeley. And I was lucky enough to be a co-host with Ken several times on Philosophy Talk and a friend of Philosophy Talk in general. Ken was one of the funniest, most passionate, and most really philosophical philosophers I know. He understood the fundamental thing about philosophy, which was always being critical, always arguing, and yet also always being open to new ideas. Uh, The slogan of philosophy talk, we question everything except your intelligence, that was the essence of what Ken was all about, and we'll miss him terribly. I'm Kwame Anthony Appiah, Professor of Philosophy and Law at NYU. Like all of us, I was devastated to hear of Ken Taylor's untimely death. I've known him as a professional colleague for decades now, and I've always admired his philosophical acuity, his engagement with issues of importance for everyone, inside and outside professional philosophy, which he demonstrated, of course, through his work for Philosophy Talk. He was splendidly skeptical of conventional pieties, believing, I think, that the point of philosophy was to look at the world full on do your best to say honestly what you saw 
for better or worse. He'll be sorely missed. This is Susan Schneider from the University of Connecticut. Hi, Ken. Um, I'm talking to you, but you've passed away and it's terrible. Um, we were just together a few weeks ago. We did a wonderful episode of Philosophy Talk with Josh and um, I wanted to get together with you again for coffee and I just read your paper on AI, which I thought was just so spectacular. And then we all just learned that you finished a book, which we were all looking forward to. We don't know what comes next, but um, I hope there's something. And um, I hope you're thinking about deep issues there too. My name is David Livingston Smith, professor of philosophy at the University of New England. I knew Ken as a colleague and as a regular contributor to the Philosophy Talk blog. There was something inherently lovable about Ken. When we met at conferences, I would, without thinking twice, put my arm around his broad shoulders as we walked along together. Ken was a kind, generous-spirited and gentle man with a robust sense of reality. He was a formidable philosopher and a powerhouse presenter, incredibly eloquent and incisive. I will miss him greatly, and our profession will be much the poorer for his passing. I'm Janana Smell from Columbia University. I've known Ken since 1996 when I came to Stanford as a postdoc. We became friends almost immediately, had dinner almost once a week for the two years I was there, and we stayed friends for all of the years since. Every time you saw Ken, whether it was once a year or once a week, it was always like you had all of him at once. There was a kind of immediacy and a completeness and a satisfyingness about it. And it was so characteristic of him in everything. He never held anything back. He was one of the most alive people I knew. And it seems he was just stopped or arrested mid-step, kind of in full motion. So Ken, you were gone far, far too soon, but you leave behind so much love. And I hope you knew how much you were loved. I'm David Eagleman. I'm a neuroscientist at Stanford. Ken was the type of person who was always thrilled to ask questions. And with his intelligence matched only by his enthusiasm, he was a real force of nature. He was an exemplar of the kind of teacher that you want on a campus, and he was a wonderful human being. We're really going to miss him. I'm Rebecca Goldstein. I'm a writer. I knew Ken mostly from being on Philosophy Talk several times. I admired him and what he was doing for philosophy a great deal. His warmth and humor, coupled with his acutely critical intelligence, presented the face of philosophy at its best. This is Michael Lynch from UConn. Ken was a brilliant philosopher of language, but he was also someone who knew how to talk about ideas you know, without pretension and with a fantastic sense of humor. This is what made it so fun to be on philosophy talk with him. He found the humanity not just in his listeners, but in philosophy itself. I'm Julian Appelin, the author of The Fact of Resonance. I've always loved philosophy talk for its impossible premise. We think that philosophy is something that you do alone and in silence, but that's not the case. It's something that we do together. And for me, Ken always embodied that impossible premise. For Ken, there was no problem that couldn't be talked about. He had this rare magnanimity of thought. Philosophy isn't about shutting out everything until you find a place of non-contradiction. It's about letting the world in as much as possible and up to the point that there's no distinction between philosophizing and living. I'm Lynn Terrell from Yukon. I first met Ken in 1986 when he was leaving UNC and I was just arriving. The last time I saw Ken was at his 2017 Pacific APA presidential address. He took that well-deserved honor in stride, not feeding his ego, but as an opportunity to serve an organization crucial to philosophy's future. Ken saw reason as, and I quote, a distributed power resonant in a diverse array of localized voices spreading over a sprawling, variegated, ever-unfolding landscape. A conversation with Ken never felt like a contest, but rather a talking with, even across serious differences. What a special gift. I'm Jorah Dannenberg. I teach philosophy at Stanford. 
Ken was my colleague and my friend. Ken was such a, an enormous and powerful presence in all of our lives, and I'm gonna miss him so much. He was so warm and funny and kind to everybody, uh, and he was also just such an amazing philosopher, such an intellectual force. I learned so much from talking with him about my own work, about just about every other part of philosophy from listening to the radio show over the years. Uh, I just can't say enough how, how much of a loss it is to have to say goodbye to him. My name is Anna Saramangrian Kvedens. I'm in the Stanford Philosophy Department and I've known Ken since I came in 2011. Ken was a terrific colleague and human being. Academia can be pretty cold, but Ken was not. He was so open-minded and so open-hearted. And he was a wonderful philosophical sparring partner, so much fun and so stimulating to argue with. I'm so grateful to him and to have known him, and endlessly sad that he's gone. This is Neil Van Leeuwen. I've been a part of Philosophy Talk for almost as long as I've been a philosopher. I was first director of research for Philosophy Talk, and I was really close with Ken there. And I've been a blogger for Philosophy Talk ever since, and I'm really going to miss Ken. And not only was he my mentor in Philosophy Talk, he was also my PhD advisor at Stanford. This loss has hit me really hard, but I'm always going to say that I'm proud to have worked with Ken Taylor. My name is Carola Kratmeyer. I'm a professor of bioethics at UW-Madison. Ken wasn't only my teacher and my dissertation advisor, Ken and I shared a passion for theater. Years ago, when Ken found out that I write plays, he, maybe contrary to his better judgment, agreed to act in one of them, and he threw himself into that role. I will never forget how the audience just delighted in his performance of a loquacious small-town mayor, and, and Ken owned that stage with his presence and his humor. Ken truly believed that the project that is thrust upon you is that you have to fashion yourself. You have to create yourself. And that's what Ken did. And through what he taught and through how he led by example, he inspired many, including me, to aspire to that too. I'm, I'm gonna miss him very much. You're listening to Philosophy Talk's special tribute to Ken Taylor. Let's hear more from Ken's friends and fans. My name is Ruth Starkman, and I had the honor of teaching with Professor Ken Taylor a freshman philosophy course called Recognizing the Self and Its Possibilities. Here are our freshmen thanking Professor Taylor. Many identify themselves as FLY, F-L-I, which stands for first-gen low-income. Hi, my name is Maryam Khalil, and I wanted to thank Professor Taylor for showing each individual in his class the intricate beauty of searching for meaning in our own way, for curating an environment where the two simple words, be free, transcend into us experiencing ourselves. My name is Malaysia Atwater. I just wanted to say thank you to Professor Taylor for challenging us to think critically, to communicate our ideas effectively, and to live our lives with purpose. Hi, my name is Allison Argetta. I'm a FLY student, and I want to thank Professor Taylor for forcing myself to challenge my beliefs and for giving me the first real opportunity to reflect on these deep ideas. Hi, I'm Angel Elise. Professor Taylor, thank you for teaching me to read for ownership, for teaching me to independently think and formulate my own ideas. Thank you for teaching me to constantly question my beliefs. These things go way beyond the course and I will carry them with me for the rest of my life. Hi, my name is Victor Cardenas and I want to thank Professor Taylor for challenging my conceptions of the world, for talking to me after class about my esoteric definitions of happiness and for his very clever Game of Thrones references. Hi, my name is Arushi Gupta. Thank you, Professor Taylor, for pushing me to question everything, strive for the truth, and reflect deeply. Hi, my name is Jessica Okafor. I want to say thank you, Professor Taylor, for teaching me how to exude confidence on days where I feel far from it. 
Hi, my name is Audrey. I'm also a Phi student, and thank you, Professor Taylor, for teaching us to uh, the importance to be free and teaching us、um, to reach for ownership and that we should own our life. Hi, my name is Charlie Hoffs. Thank you, Professor Taylor, for empowering me to be and continue to become a complex and profound thinker. Hi, my name is Lena Dinson. I'm a Phi student, and I want to thank Professor Taylor for being just an exemplary. A black leader, in particular,、um, and showing what it means to lead as a black man, and well, how blackness can be、uh, a strength rather than a weakness in a world that sees it as one. Hi, my name is Nicole Lee,、um, and thank you, Professor Taylor, for teaching me how to be responsible with my own freedom. Hi, my name is Rachel, and I just wanted to say thank you to Professor Taylor for changing the way I see the world and the way I live my life. Hi, my name is Luke, and thank you, Professor Taylor, for teaching me that getting an education should be fun, and for always pushing me to become my best self. Hi, my name is Emily Nichols, and I thank Professor Taylor for teaching me how to live with internal meaning and purpose. Thank you for teaching me that even though I am a Black Fly student, I can do anything as long as I believe and recognize my subjectivity, rest in power. Hi, my name is Lizzie, and I am also a fly student. And I just wanted to thank Professor Taylor for teaching me to assert myself, not only in my life but in the university as well. Hi, my name is Laura Jacquelin. I'm also a fly student, and I just want to thank Professor Taylor for never giving us an easy answer, for teaching me how to think for myself, and showing me that fly students can change the world because he definitely did. Hi, my name is Caitlin Harold, and I wanted to thank Professor Taylor for helping me develop new ways of thinking and grow as both a student and a person. My name is Rayuv, and I wanted to thank Professor Taylor for encouraging us to seek discomfort in our beliefs in the best possible way. Thank you for encouraging us to think about the world more deeply. My name is Alicia Smyers, and I wanted to thank Professor Taylor for showing me how to thoughtfully challenge my beliefs and think critically about my life and my decisions. Hi, my name is Ishan, and I wanted to thank Professor Taylor for showing me what the raw, authentic passion for truth and passion for、um, understanding and breaking down arguments looks like. My name is Biswas, and I would like to thank Professor Taylor for inspiring me to search for my own answers. Hi, my name is Fahad. Thank you, Professor Taylor, for introducing me to a unique and nuanced way of reasoning about the world around me. Hi, my name is Christian Tokel. I'm also a fly student on campus. I would like to thank Professor Taylor in、uh, guiding me to living a more meaningful life, not just for myself but for others around me as well. Hi, my name is Zara, and I want to thank Professor Taylor for teaching me how to listen and how to question truths which appear to be self-evident. Hi, my name is Dhruv Samathi.、Um, I just wanted to thank Professor Taylor for teaching me how to question my beliefs and appreciate debate in every respect, and、um, for always filling every room with your presence. Hi, my name is Jose Luis Gondra. Thank you, Professor Taylor, for making me feel empowered to live my life as an outward reflection of the inward truth of who I am. You've taught me to slay the droning other and given me the sword to do it. Hi, my name is Julia Kwok, Professor Taylor. Thank you for teaching me to notice the presence of philosophy in every part of my life, and for giving me warm and comforting hugs. Hi,、uh, my name is Jordan Tarico,、um, Professor Taylor. You're such a kind soul. Thank you for being an inspiration in studies and thought and in life, and for indulging me in philosophy or Notre Dame football.、Um, may your memory live on. <sighs> Moving tributes, indeed, from such a huge legion of fans. If you miss Ken as much as we do, please feel free to record your favorite memories on our website, philosophytalk.org. For those interested in making a donation in Ken's name, you can do that at the same website. Now, Ken's family has requested that donations be made to Philosophy Talk, which was Ken's brainchild, and we're all sure he'd really want us to stay on the air. Either way, we hope you'll join us in celebrating the legacy of a truly great friend, colleague, and radio host. Of course, we couldn't end the program without one last, very fast-paced tribute. From one of Ken's biggest fans, Ian Scholes, the sixty-second philosopher. Ian Scholes. No matter how reasonable we view ourselves, we all have a self in mind, and that self is governed, in my opinion, by a myriad of influences over which we have no control. It's a vicious cycle of pride and blame, fueled by reason, yes, but also by bias, raw emotions, tender emotions, and that traumatic thing that happened in the garage when we were eleven. That is who we are. Sometimes on top of things, sometimes not. As an adjunct, as it were, to this program, a faux philosopher, or if you prefer, a professor of thinkology. Here to put a humorous button on the previous hour of off-times weighty conversation, I've been left pretty much to my own devices. But sometimes, as a joke, and because he knew it bugged me, 
Ken Taylor would suggest that I wear a beret at our live shows as though I were some kind of pretentious complet grad student or a flaneur or a person who tried to be French and failed. See, I always viewed myself as more of a wisecracking, fedora-wearing, private eye kind of guy. He apparently did not, which is all by way of saying Ken Taylor drove me crazy sometimes. But the point is, he had a vision of what the radio show should be. It was his idea, I think, to have a jazz combo with the live tapings. He was always very concerned that listeners and audience members were encouraged to participate with questions. This show was about philosophy, but a philosophy in action, philosophy in presentation. The drama of it was important to him because, after all, philosophy talk often offers theater at its most basic. Two people on a stage, he taking a side and fighting for it. Well, talking for it. Also, philosophy talk is bringing philosophy back to its roots in the human voice and the thinking ear. It was always a dance of sorts between being true to the history and nature of philosophy and bringing that truth to the sometimes conflicting reality of radio. Constraints of time, distractions, attention spans, and the temptations of rock and roll and Rush Limbaugh on either side of the dial. Such considerations can lead to many interesting collisions. Does good radio make bad philosophy? Can good philosophy make good radio? What is the essence of each, and how does each affect the other? How do rhetoric and persuasion and rhythm and humor and projection and pauses affect what you are trying to say, and who are you talking to? The listening audience, or just one listener, or both? Ken explored these questions, whether wittingly or un, bringing his skills as a philosopher and a teacher to a project in which he deeply believed, I think, part of a larger belief in philosophy itself. I will speak for him now. Perhaps I could be wrong. I'm often presumptuous. That's part of the gig as I see it, and I think Ken would agree if he were here. Philosophy is important. It should play a bigger part in our lives. We should think about what we're doing, think about why we're doing it, and, as the philosophy talk has shown, enjoy ourselves as we think. From my perspective, that is my Ken Taylor takeaway. Look, listen, and think. That's why we're here and why Ken Taylor will be missed. I gotta go. Philosophy Talk is a presentation of KALW, local public radio San Francisco, and the trustees of Leland Stanford Junior University, copyright 2019. Our executive producer is Tina Pamentuan. The senior producer is Devin Strolovich. Laura McGuire is our director of research. Cindy Prince-Baum is our director of marketing. Thanks also to Merle Kessler, Angela Johnston, and Lauren Schechter. Support for Philosophy Talk comes from various groups at Stanford University and from the partners at our online community of thinkers. The views expressed or misexpressed on this program do not necessarily represent the opinions of Stanford University or of our other funders. Not even when they're true and reasonable. The conversation continues on our website, philosophytalk.org, where you too can become a partner in our community of thinkers. I'm John Perry. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Deborah Satz. Thank you for listening. And thank you for thinking. This is not going here, right? <laughs> <laughs>